If you look at the news reports, you know much of the world has been devastated by the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, especially uh, the economic fallout for a lot of the, the vulnerable members of various populations, people losing their jobs, unable to find new uh, employment. Contrastingly, we have seen some reports that U.S. billionaires have actually seen their wealth increase. The Institute of Policy Studies addresses this phenomenon in a new study. Uh, It's entitled Billionaire Bonanza 2020, Wealth Windfalls, Tumbling Taxes, and Pandemic Profiteers. So to find out more about this, we welcome on the line an expert on U.S. inequality and the racial health divide. Chuck Collins is the director of the program on inequality and the common good at the Institute. Also, the author of several popular books, including Born on Third Base, a one percenter makes the case for tackling inequality, bringing wealth home, and committing to the common good. Uh, Joining us on the line right now, hello. Hello, good to be with you. Thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Collins. Really appreciate it. So uh, Forbes, uh, this is the magazine that people like to look at for the rankings of how the the riches stack up against each other. Uh, They reported reported a a modest decline in the total number of billionaires in the past year. So you might assume, okay, the richest are maybe losing some of their wealth. But that doesn't really uh, paint the entire picture uh, as far as uh, what's been going on through COVID-19, right? Yeah, I mean, Forbes does their annual assessment. They did it this year on March 18th. What we noticed is since then, really over the last seven, eight weeks, the wealth of U.S. billionaires has surged, uh, over $400 billion increase in just seven, eight weeks. Um, So even though there's been a market downturn in the last couple of days, their wealth is way ahead of where it was last year and way ahead of where it was uh, a couple weeks ago. So can we largely attribute that then to, uh, although there was an initial plunge in the markets, uh, some of the, the, more, the most devastating losses uh, since uh, the uh, Great Depression, but uh, the uptick in the markets are largely what is uh, kind of padding these uh, billionaires' uh, pocketbooks right now? Some of it's changes in the equity market, but the reality is these folks uh, are – Uh, Many of them are quite hedged. Uh, They're betting on upturns and downturns. Uh, And typically, Wall Street uh, surges or rebounds much faster than the real economy of wages and savings and home equity. So I think we're we're seeing that the the, the billionaires as a class are, are almost buffered and protected from this economic pandemic. Can you then give us some examples specifically of the uh, the so-called pandemic profiteering and, and what kind of problems it's been causing? Well, you know, one, one of the things we looked at in our report was who, who, is, who is seeing their wealth go up by billions and billions of dollars. Uh, and some of those are not surprising. They're, they're companies that are tied to the technologies that are doing well right now, uh, such as the video conferencing platforms. So we're seeing, uh, you know, Eric Yon, Steve Ballmer, majority shareholder of Microsoft, their wealth surging by billions of mm. dollars because of Zoom and Skype and Teams. Uh, obviously, Jeff Bezos' wealth has gone up almost $30 billion in just eight, nine weeks because of people's uh, uh, shopping on Amazon. Right. But there are also uh, billionaires who are in the medical device field, uh, home improvements. I guess people are uh, doing a lot of do-it-yourself home improvement projects. Um, and then there's just the, the, be- the betters, the speculators, the hedge funds mm. and the 
private equity people, they're seeing their wealth surge uh, because they, that's what they do. They gamble on other people's losses. You have written uh, for various outlets, including The Guardian. Uh, one of the things you mentioned, could you maybe uh, help us understand better this concept of economical distancing? Sure. I mean, I think we're all learning about social distancing. Right. But in this way, the wealthy are kind of almost uh, living a parallel life. And, and we've, we've said that uh, extreme inequality of wealth is, a, is, a, is the pre-existing condition for this pandemic. So if you came in a billionaire, you're going to see your wealth grow. And if you're economically precarious, you're going to become more precarious. And I think that's the fear, is that we're just going to continue to pull apart. We've seen a lot of uh, so-called stimulus legislation, uh, although maybe calling it a stimulus is a bit of a misnomer because it is certainly seemingly more like CPR for uh, self-induced comas as far as overall economies are concerned. The U.S. passing these massive bills. Uh, Korea also uh, starting to roll out uh, emergency disaster relief. Um, uh, Basically, one-time payments uh, of, uh, let's say, uh, at or around $1,000 each. Uh, Does that do enough uh, to to kind of address the uh, sort of economic polarization? Because uh, there is this uh, controversy in the U.S. with the so-called PPP, right? These these payments that are going out to struggling small businesses and and a lot of these uh, big kind of big name uh, hamburger franchises and and all of these sort of companies that you don't necessarily expect deserve it are kind of uh, kind of gaming the system and getting these funds and so there there does seem to be a sense of the is the money getting to the places that it really needs to well you know it does it does make a difference in the in the, uh, a little difference because of so many people are living in fear um but i think there's we could do so much better i mean yeah. i think you're right that these, uh, this help should be better targeted, um, and it should be kind of monthly. Uh, you know, so people should have a sense that maybe they're during the the worst part of this pandemic that they're going to get a monthly basic income support. Then they're not choosing between their having to work and their health, and that's what's driving this in the United States. This irrational uh, desire to open up the economy before it's ready and before people are protected. And so I think some kind of guaranteed monthly income would do a much better job of reassuring people that they don't have to put their health before their livelihoods. And that's an interesting point as well, because I know that there has been, uh, you see it on social media, uh, you see it in mentions in the, med- uh, in the press uh, with other prominent figures. Basically, uh, some might consider to be a bit of a lip service, but uh, kind of paying tribute to all the frontline workers out there, the essential services, whether they're the grocery people or the, the people who are working uh, in the medical field or people who pick up your trash. All of these people are uh, being lauded for their so-called sacrifice during these times, but they are still working jobs that uh, barely pay them sometimes $10 an hour, $12 an hour. And it is largely, if you look at the demographics, uh, something that uh, feels like the uh, people of color bear the brunt of. And we're seeing outcomes in the U.S. as well, where uh, people of color, particularly uh, the, the the black population, is um, outsized in terms of the, the number of deaths and the number of infections and the people who are suffering 
in terms of uh, bad health outcomes here. Do you feel that uh, it's not only exacerbating the so-called billionaire class versus the people who are struggling to get by, but also really exacerbating sort of what we're seeing being laid bare, the, the racial inequalities and all this, just particularly in the U.S. context? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's what's being revealed, that the inequalities that we started with are almost being supercharged. They're getting, you know, accelerated. And uh, it's great that we've discovered that there's this class of uh, low-wage workers who are heroic and, right. and doing, uh, you know, this enormous work. Uh, that, you know, the ultimate solution is to pay people a living wage, uh, ensure that folks have health insurance and paid sick leave if they... you know, do get sick or they have a family member they need to care for. Um, we, we need to both in the short term give people more protection and then transition to a longer term, uh, you know, real safety net. Uh, so people aren't in this kind of situation, aren't as precarious and unprotected and vulnerable as they are right now. What can be done? Because uh, we have been... Uh... Prior to the the pandemic breaking out in the U.S., there was quite a spirited uh, Democratic uh, presidential primary process, uh, a bit of a a, a fundamental debate between the sort of moderate wing of the Democratic Party, uh, maybe centrist, uh, center-left, versus the the more progressive wing of the party inspired by the the movement led by Bernie Sanders. And and you talk about all these issues like uh, universal health care, whether it's a single-payer system like Medicare for All, uh, other concepts like... I think you've mentioned with uh, universal basic income, some of these things uh, uh, put forth by candidates like Andrew Yang. Are, is it feasible to think that there could be some kind of uh, awakening in, in the U.S. where there could be a fundamental shift and maybe more popularity for these kind of policies that are bold, that are progressive, that could help uh, address the inequalities? Or is it going to be still a difficult uh, thing, especially if you look at the electoral college layout? Well, you know, ironically, it's sort of both. I mean, actually, I think there's the, the, the policies that, that you're talking about are wildly popular. Right, People right. want to see uh, a better safety net. They, they believe the wealthy should pay more taxes, that we should have universal health insurance. There should, we should eliminate student debt. Uh, all these things are very, very popular. And because our political system is captured by sort of the donor class, the billionaire class, it's going to be hard in the short term to move that agenda. But I do think there is an awakening and the pressure is going to keep building to move us toward a society that more people would rather live in, you know, and, and, and uh, if, there's a, if there's any kind of wake-up coming out of this, I think it will, we will see, kind of like coming out of the economic recession 2008-2009, there was mm. both the regressive Tea Party, but there was also the progressive Occupy right. and movements focused on inequality And, uh, and I think we're going to see that only more powerful. So on the balance, uh, from what I'm able to, to gauge, is uh, you would count yourself as being slightly more uh, optimistic that things can improve and, and this pandemic can serve as an opportunity to perhaps uh, mobilize and, and raise awareness and, and bring about these outcomes that uh, a lot of people, as you say, uh, wildly agree with. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. You know, the, the, the House Democrats just in the U.S. put forward their... big stimulus package. And it has a lot of mm. very popular provisions, like keeping our post office afloat, right, right. Uh, like uh, slowing down the opening of the economy so that we can have testing and a vaccine and just better practices in place. 
those are very, we're talking 90% of the population popular policies. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, it's like the politicians have to catch up to where most people are at on these things. Well, hopefully uh, that will be the case. Chuck Collins, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, I do look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks for having me.